Welcome to the Waterways World Podcast, brought to you in association with ABC Leisure Group, operators of hire fleets and marinas around the UK. Hello, I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of Waterways World magazine, and for the first time on our podcast, we have a return guest as we welcome back Richard Fairhurst. Now, the inland waterways have long been a big part of Richard's life. As well as a boat owner, he is WW's in-house cartographer and a former editor of the magazine. But he is also passionate about cycling. He runs the route planning and ideas website Cycle.Travel and is a volunteer for the Sustrans walking and cycling charity. As towpath cycling is something of a contested issue at the moment, we felt Richard was well placed to give a balanced perspective, as well as providing plenty of advice on travelling the waterways by bike. So, let's take a listen to what he has to say. As a very keen boater and a very keen cyclist, do you see there's perceived to be a problem on our towpaths? No, um... Oh, no, not on the majority of them. Uh, I mean, I I would struggle to find anywhere on, for example, the uh, the Worcester and Birmingham, the Droitwich, you know, the, the canals that I cruise most often because we're more in Worcester. I would struggle to find anywhere really where there's uh, a significant problem there. I mean, you know, uh, occasionally you'll have, the, there are idiots in all walks of life, boaters, cyclists, whatever it might be. So occasionally you will have someone who is not considerate to their um uh, to their surroundings but i do not see on the waterways i cruise regularly uh an endemic problem i think where there is more of challenge in managing access is a couple of places where people have basically settled upon the uh, the towpath as the most practical route to get a bike from a to b uh the regent's canal in london is the really obvious one um the Western Kennis and Avon to some degree, although I think much less, and, you know, a, a couple of others. But, you know, generally I start from the viewpoint that most people I meet are decent people, whether they're on a bike or whether they're on a boat. And nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 100, everyone gets on with each other. Yes, we get a lot of letters about speed cyclists. Yeah. And that does seem to be the primary cause of issues. It's yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, okay, I mean, to sort of slightly backtrack on this, you think okay, what is the reason why people are cycling along the towpath? Uh, why are they cycling on the towpath rather than somewhere else, rather than on the road, rather than on the railway trail, so on and so forth? Uh, and I might be getting people wrong, but I think generally the reason is not that they just like ducks or they just like looking at boats. Uh, generally, the reason in, in particular in London why people cycle on the towpath is because they don't want to get killed. Um, the, the the accident rate on major roads in London for cyclists over the past few years has not been a nice thing. Uh, and the the various mayors of London, uh, I am not necessarily a fan of Mr Johnson, but he did do a lot of good work in this area, have been putting in proper good quality safe cycle lanes uh, beside roads. And that's great, but they aren't everywhere. And so if you are going from, for example, um, sort of the Paddington, Maida Vale area over towards King's Cross, it's quite likely that you will decide the route you're going to use is going along the canal towpath just because it is you are not going to have those uh, that contact with cars with um, heavy traffic that you would do going on road. So that's that's why I think ultimately 
in places like London, there are so many cyclists on the towpath. Why are some of them going too fast? So some of it is just a lack of awareness that towpaths are different. Um, so some of it is you know, just genuinely not understanding that basically different rules apply on the towpath compared to the roadside cycle lanes because it is a shared space. Um, but also some of it, and I, you know, I don't want to downplay concerns too much here, but if we had second analog, if for example, you are a angler on the Droitwich Barge Canal, there's loads of anglers on the Droitwich Barge Canal. If you, every Sunday you go out there, there seems to be a match of some sort. Uh, and you've got 30 boaters going past, 29 of whom are really considerate and go past at a nice slow speed and you know don't churn up the bed so that the fish can hide and all of that sort of thing um one of them whips straight past at full revs um breaking wash churns up the bed all of that um Mm. then to be honest at the end of the day the one you're going to remember is the one who was not responsible the the one who went too fast uh and that's human nature uh the person who annoyed you sticks in your memory so although I will agree that in some places there are cyclists who go too fast. Um, and I think there are practical things that you could uh, could potentially do about that. Um, I wouldn't say that it is the majority or even a particularly significant minority. Right. What do you think to the initiative that the Canal and River Trust is testing with automatic slowdown signs? Oh, no, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, so am I right in thinking these kick in it was eight miles an hour? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I should explain that. What we are discussing is very similar to those road signs that you often see near schools or on the outskirts of villages. Yeah. That show a green light if you're travelling within the speed limit or a red if you're over it. Yeah. And they're surprisingly effective too. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, there's no punitive element to them. Yeah, it's the whole intrinsic motivation thing, isn't it? It's making you feel good about yourself, yeah. yeah. And the Canal and River Trust are trying a similar idea for cyclists beside the West Midlands waterway. Yeah, and, you know, to a certain extent, uh, sort of in in somewhere like um, the very centre of Birmingham, where it's, you know, it is a contested space where you've got uh, cyclists rubbing shoulders with um, pedestrians, in particular sort of day-tripper pedestrians who are not particularly going anywhere they're just looking at the canal and you know which is terrific and we should encourage that then you know i can see that what what i do slightly worry about is that people will extrapolate that into thinking that as a result eight miles an hour is the universal towpath speed limit uh and that is not sensible because you know if for example you look just a couple of miles up you've got the new main line which is um, basically arrow straight pretty much between um, obviously between central Birmingham and factory locks um, most of that is really it, it is really the domain of cyclists you do not get many walkers out there and it seems uh, counterproductive to me to give people the impression that the speed limit on the new main line should be eight miles an hour because you are doing no one any harm by going uh, 12 miles an hour, 13 miles an hour along there. But yeah, in, in a um, city centre contested space, uh, I, I think that's it's quite a, quite a nice idea, to be honest. Forgive my ignorance, but how fast is eight miles an hour? On <laughs> it's really slow. Uh, is it? It, it, is, it is really, really slow. Uh, I mean, if, if I were... You know, I, I'm not a fast cyclist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and if I were going along a towpath, I don't know, I suppose I'd usually be doing sort of 10, 11, 12, something like that. Um, right. Obviously, if there's more people around, I would be going slower. Um, if there are... Um, 
if, if it's in the middle of nowhere uh, and it's a big open towpath, I, I might go a bit faster. But yeah, you know, eight, eight miles an hour is on the slow side of things, certainly. There must be quite a few boaters who are also cyclists. Absolutely, and increasingly so, I think. Um, you know, it, it's it's always been a thing that you will see people with bike racks uh, on the back of their tiller or, um, you know, just bikes strewn on the roof and that sort of thing. And yeah, you know, that's going back to your earlier point about liveboard boaters. Uh, you'll quite often see liveboard boats with um, bikes on the roof um, uh, because, you know, it's, it's a sensible way to get into town. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's fairly common. Um, but, you know, uh, it's it's not universal and there are certainly people uh, who will not be particularly experienced at sharing space with bikes and that's absolutely fine you know can't can't blame people for that it's occurred to me when considering this uh, discussion that the history of cycling on the waterways must date back centuries yeah totally totally it's you know it's it's lot wheeling uh basically you take a bike with you and you uh, it means you can go ahead and set the locks much much more easily uh you know i i found in the past that doing um doing flight like tardivik is just so much easier if you've got a folding bike especially if there's only two of you if you haven't got a significant crew um because you you can go back and close the previous gate while you the boat's in the next lock up you can make sure the next lock up is ready for you to get you know it makes everything so much easier so yeah yeah, yeah absolutely a big fan of that and as you say it's it's got a lot of historical precedence uh, to a certain certain degree you could say that people were using bikes on the towpath before the uh, before there was significant pleasure boat usage but uh, at that point we're going to get into uh, some sort of argument about precedence so let's not go there <laughs> you mentioned you've got a folding bike is, yeah yeah is that was that brompton it's not actually uh, the the bike I have is a um, it's this this thing called a Bike Friday, uh, which comes from Portland in Oregon. Why well, not Portland? I think Eugene, which is the next time down, uh, and you know that's a big cycling area. It's it's more robust than a Brompton. Um, you can do sixty fifty miles on it a day uh, without breaking sweat or you know, without bike breaking sweat. I'm knackered, obviously, um, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't fold as small as a Brompton. Nothing folds as small as a Brompton. So uh. it's it's a great. It's a bike that folds uh, almost rather than the folding bike, if you see what I mean. Uh, and Bromptons have the massive advantage for narrow boat use that you can just fold them into a little parcel and put them under the bed or put them uh, in the store or whatever it might be. Okay. Where's yours stored? Uh, you, I mean, usually I just keep it here, to be honest, uh, and ah, okay. I'll take it to the boat when I need it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I have too many bikes. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not just folding bikes. I think I'm probably up to about yeah, five or six now. So, yeah. Wow. You've had feeling that I'm actually thinking you've got some sort of tandem. Type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, the little one is uh, five, so and five. Uh, he he goes to school about uh, three miles away. So yeah, uh, a day or two a week we cycle there on the tandem, and it's good fun. He likes it. Uh, you get to you get to see the world. You get to see all the wildlife. You know, uh, we joke about the big uh, the deep dark wood and whether he's going to see the gruffalo in it. So yeah, no, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a good it's a good thing to do. Are there any waterways that are particularly well suited to cycling? Yeah, oh, totally. Uh, I mean, the the Kenna and Avon either end is good because the towpath has been adapted there for cycling. Um, the Pennine waterways generally are pretty good. Not all of the Leeds and Liverpool, but um, either end of the Leeds and Liverpool, particularly the Yorkshire end, is good. The Rochdale and the Huddersfield Narrow are both really nice on the bike, uh, obviously with right. the exception of the tunnel. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think, as a general rule, the 
Canals that are not so good for cycling tend to be the really rural ones. So it's quite funny, you know, every month or so on a cycling forum, uh, someone will ask, I'm thinking about cycling up the Shropshire Union Canal. Has anyone got any experience of this? And yeah, you just don't go there. Uh, do not even think oh, really? about it. Well, yeah, because, you know, the Shropshire Union is um, it's so much of Telford's uh, Birmingham and Liverpool Junction line uh, is cuttings uh, where basically all the water drains yeah. down onto the towpath so the towpath is just a quagmire uh, and you are not going to have any joy cycling along there and to be honest why would you there's lots of lovely country lanes around that sort of area of Shropshire Staffordshire Cheshire there's no need to cycle on the towpath I think often where towpath cycling comes into its own is where the nearby roads whether they be city roads or the sort of country lane that's infested with Audis um, is basically no fun for cycling so for example around here we have um, not much but there's about a mile of the Oxford Canal which is part of the National Cycle Network route um, and that's just on the north side of Oxford the rest of the Oxford Canal is not great for cycling and that's fine but there's this one mile and the reason that one mile is uh, good for cycling as part of the National Cycle Network route, is that the canal goes underneath these two main uh, roads, these two big uh, A roads, where otherwise, if you're on a bike, you'd have to dodge traffic at these two lethal roundabouts with uh, right. uh, stuff coming off the A34 at 70 miles an hour. So, you know, at that point, I think it's quite proportionate for that to be a cycle route. And then the cycle route peels off onto quiet lanes where there isn't so much traffic. And that's all good. You mentioned some of the uh, northern waterways mm. must be they must be very undulating routes um to some degree yeah i mean obviously uh obviously the pennine canals uh particularly the rochdale and the huddersfield narrow uh are you know very very heavy in locks but that's all right on a bike to be honest uh you know it's it's a much more gentle gradient than you would have going up the pennines any other way so right, yeah it's yeah, it, it is it is quite good for that i mean the, the rochdale is it's a fascinating canal in so many ways and the towpath's no exception so you've got various by washes where you actually find that you're cycling through the cobbled by wash <laughs> you've got water going everywhere um it's you know it's not something to make rapid progress on and that's good uh it's it's a lovely canal just to uh soak up and obviously it's hard work on a boat because you've got 90 locks it's less hard work on a bike do you think that cyclists could make more of a contribution to the waterways that's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, and to some degree, obviously, cyclists and walkers do by proxy because this is what the government gives CRT this massive grant for. So, you know, every, every year, a very large proportion of the uh, money that goes into running the waterways comes from a central government grant. Now, central government doesn't just give that grant so that... Um, however many boaters can have nice holidays and um, not just also to support the scenic community of the waterways it's also for the general amenity of the waterways and so that's cycling and walking use so to some degree you know we are all making a contribution to the waterways through um, the tax we pay um, but more than that yeah i mean it would be interesting to see whether crt can get anywhere with the whole sort of supporter scheme um whether that can appeal to cyclists difficult because you know i've seen a few times crt has tried that they take out facebook adverts and they say you know uh, discover the waterways here are our great um here are our great places to go cycling uh, but you know to be honest every time they do that they get jumped on by uh, 50 angry boaters in the comments who say oh, i don't think this should be promoted for cycling etc so i don't know you can't win can you no 
During the lockdown, there was a huge boom in cycling activity. Do you see any signs of this continuing? Yes, I think so. Um, what I do slightly worry about is that it might be difficult given that traffic levels are, well, motor traffic levels are back up again. Uh, so, you know, during the first lockdown when the country really, really was locked down, uh, it was really noticeable on the country lanes around here. Uh, people were going cycling for the first time in years and it was terrific. There were kids out, there were people taking very hesitant first steps on a bike they dug out of the garage. Uh, and you know, it was a really, really lovely thing to see. Now, what I worry about a bit is that the roads are busier again. People are driving uh, back up to normal levels and so some of the people who started cycling still want to carry on cycling but the roads are not so much of a welcoming place there as they were so that requires really government and local councils to step up to the task and to say okay we're going to provide safe cycling routes for people because otherwise the danger is that people are just going to either um uh, either cycle on roads that are not so suitable for it uh, and the accident rate will go up or conversely as we've been talking about they will say well you know where's the nearest traffic place uh, traffic free place i can find um that's the towpath and we start getting pinch points there so yeah i, I think right. it will continue but i think it's going to need a bit of government attention to make sure that it continues and people benefit from it are there any particularly good resources for people planning a cycle route that may encompass waterways Okay, so th this is where I'm completely biased because I, I run cycle.travel and this is a route planning site. So, you know, my uh, my advice in such circumstances would always be go to cycle.travel and punch in your endpoint and your start point. Yeah, um, so, okay. so, <laughs> but slightly, uh, slightly less biased than that. Uh, so people tend to, I think people, especially who live in cities, uh, tend to see that they've got a nice tarmac towpath in London or Birmingham or Leeds or wherever it might be. And assume that the whole canal network, or in fact, the whole waterway network is like that. Uh, and of course, it isn't. Uh, you can you occasionally see people saying, yeah, I, I want to cycle the whole of the Grand Union Canal to Birmingham. Um, can anyone take me how, uh, tell me how long it will take? Can I do it in six hours or something? And you think, oh, boy, um, because... Just because the towpath is good quality in London uh, doesn't mean that it's anything other than basically uh, unsurfaced single track when you get out, get out into the wilds of Warwickshire. Um, so that's why it's kind of useful to look at a map or look at a cycling guide or whatever it might be. Look, um, to a certain extent, Nicholson's has some of this, but it's a bit patchy. Um, so, yeah, the, on, the online ones are generally best, but even then you've got to... Um, uh, pick your tool fairly carefully you know google maps has a terrible habit yeah i think if you ask google maps for a route from land's end to john groats it sends you up a completely uh, narrow unsurfaced bits of the staffs of worcester which is oh, totally okay. unsuitable for cycling um so yeah um cycle cycle travel is good obviously um a couple of apps like Kamut are not too bad um Ma the problem is that if you look at an ordnance survey map or whatever you might be used to that doesn't actually tell you anything about the towpath surface quality but i think it's a as a general rule unless it's part of a designated uh, signposted cycle route i would not generally assume that any rural towpath is suitable for cycling because right, yeah, okay. lots of them are lot, lots of them are undeveloped unsurfaced and you know frankly long may they remain so as part of the character of the waterways sure yes do you actually go on dedicated towpath 
cycle trips um i have done um and well in fact in, in particular when i i was uh, sitting in your chair you know sometimes if we were doing a cruising guide one month i'd say right you know i need to refresh my knowledge of the ashby or of the Huddersfield narrow or whatever it might be uh so you know uh, short of managing to uh, get my boat up to ashby which would take the best part of a month anyway uh i'd you know get the bike out and cycle the ashby canal i don't recommend cycling the ashby canal to be honest uh, why th- uh, well be- because it's again it's one of these really rough ones uh, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, yeah yeah um i i did but i think my um uh, my wrists are still tingling from the experience so yeah yeah, yeah. and you know that's a demonstration of it but yeah you know there, there are plenty of canals that are really pleasant to cycle, uh, cycle along the Navy, obviously the Worcester and Birmingham is not too bad if you um pick the uh, pick the right bits of it and don't um uh, you know don't take an unsuitable bike you, you'll have much more fun on something fairly sturdy a sort of mountain bike or a gravel bike or whatever it might be um if you try it on a road bike it will be a whole ball of hurt and yeah yeah. Uh, you end up with punctures every 10 meters um and then yeah you do sometimes see people uh who look at a waterway map and think yeah i can do all of this on my bike so i'll cycle from leeds to leicester or whatever it might be and no you can't because half of leeds to leicester is going to be down the trent and the saw and rivers by and large do not have towpaths that you're even allowed to cycle on let alone that are suitable to cycle on um because the towpaths there tend to be private property rather than owned by crt uh so yeah ah. uh, and that means they've that means they've got styles that means they're public footpaths rather than permissive rights of way so there's no legal right there so yeah it's you do have to be fairly careful and you know choose a trusted source when you're planning yes. a bike ride i've cycled a few canals on a 1970s rally stowaway oh good effort yeah yeah oh well you mentioned the river saw i Mm. i was once i went to get some pictures and so i went south of loughborough onto that stretch Mm. and um Mm. It was, yeah, I was in a lot of pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there sure. Lot, there it's, was a lot of vibrations. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. I, that, that's, you know, the, the saw is a very, uh, well, not 100% natural river, but it's got this sort of unhurried air about it. So Definitely, it's yeah, kind of nice yeah. that you don't have a too manicured a towpath. It's interesting, oh, though, because if you look, at, if you go across to France, then France, they have these massive long cycle routes uh, alongside rivers so you know the loire is the best known one but the rhone as well and i think to a certain extent that's because the river navigations there were all improved you know as part of the freycinet program in the 1880s um but you know uh, yeah, before and after that as well um so they've got big wide towpaths that used to have um much wider traffic than bike uh, than bikes on it uh and yeah. so you know this is this is the french cycling holiday experience you go and ride along a river for however long and it's amazing i did the Loire in 2019 and it it was gorgeous it really was oh, the, wow. the, the Loire's a, a funny river because it's kind of not really navigable it's never really been converted into a well certainly not a power block waterway uh so it's it's much more natural but that was you know that was such a beautiful cycling holiday and i would recommend the french uh, waterway cycling experience to anyone and you know i kind of sometimes feel a bit regretful that we don't really have anything like that we don't have so many of these long distance cycle routes to a certain extent the kenneson avon's a bit like that uh, and there's other non-canal routes the devon coast to coast is really terrific route because most of that is on old railways and such like and devon oh, county wow. council puts a lot of money into it so you know to some degree if people are saying uh, i want to go for a big long cycle holiday in britain uh, i'd say okay don't necessarily just look at 
canal ones if you're looking for something traffic free look at the devon coast to coast uh look at things like the um uh, um, the way of the roses or stuff like that uh, all of which are wonderfully explained at uh, cycle.travel <laughs> click on the groups thing sorry yeah i should stop plugging go. but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um where do you stay where did you stay when you were cycling the loire valley well when i was doing the loire um i i took my tent with me so i i camped uh several nights and the french have this wonderful concept of the municipal uh campsite which is run by the town council and yeah, I know about they, these. Yeah, yeah it's great because they they want to get people in to spend money in the town and you know to eat yeah. in the restaurants so they have these campsites where literally you stay there for four euros a night and it's yeah a, a wonderful thing yeah, um Right. So yeah, sometimes I do that. The problem was this was 2019 and there was a heat wave, uh, and I remember looking at the long range weather forecast the uh, week before I set out, and it said at the time you'll be in Orléans, it will be 40 degrees centigrade. Oh Whoa. blimey! Uh, so a few times I thought you know discretion is the better part of valor, and I booked myself a hotel with if not air conditioning at least a fan in it. Uh, but even then, you know, I was setting off at 6 a.m. so that I could get some cycling in before the top of the day. And there was there was one day, uh, you know, if, if you know me, 6 a.m. is not my best time of the day to be honest. This this is not my natural environment. Uh, <laughs> and there was one day where there was a bit of a breeze up as well so I think it was uh, I was still cycling still not quite at my books hotel at about one o'clock and honestly it felt like cycling into a hairdryer because it was 40 41 degrees and there was this breeze coming at me and yeah uh, fun in a way but <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no such problems in the UK though no, where do you no. where do you stay where do you stay when you're um I don't know if you can hear my voice keeps breaking. That's because of the shouting at the football. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So where do you stay when you're, um, uh, yeah, I'd, I mean, sometimes camping, I'd often do B&Bs, uh, B&Bs yeah. and little hotels and that sort of thing. Um, actually, the, the great trick of cycling in Britain uh, is things like Premier Inns and Travel Lodges, because I know they're not exactly the most romantic place to stay, but they're 100% happy with you taking your bike into your room. Uh, ah, so if, yeah, you, if you're worried, fair. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if, if you're worried about the safety of your bike, uh, then Premier Inns is a great place for it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this this summer I'm planning to cycle down from Oxfordshire to Penzance, a little bit anxious about where i'm going wow. to stay because i would usually do i was used to go for b&b's and hotels um but you know this is the year of the staycation um sorry i'm not yeah. allowed to call it that the domestic holiday uh and <laughs> so uh, you know i'm a bit worried that i'm going to start i'm going to look at where i'm going to be at the end of the day then two o'clock trying to find a hotel and everywhere we'll be booked up because you know if you're cycling you don't want to book too many places uh, too many days in advance um mm. Because the, you then run the risk of the weather is terrible and you've got to keep ploughing on every day to get to a place you've booked 40 miles on. Uh, and we made the mistake of doing that in Brittany about 10 years ago when it was just torrential rain every day. And But we'd booked these places to stay. So, you know, oh, we'd end right. up in this hotel, an absolute sodden mess, uh, a bit miserable about the whole thing. How many miles can you realistically expect to travel a day? Uh, it depends on the terrain and what sort of holiday uh, you want to have. I mean, for, 40 miles, for I, I find for me, is a fairly good average. Uh, I will I will do more. You know, I've done 60, 70, 80 in a day. Because if you're, you know, if you're on something like the Loire, it's beautifully flat and it's all good surfaces. But, you know, conversely, uh, if you're going to do a lot of canal towpath cycling, you should 
you know, I, I think 40 miles even is ambitious because partly you should be slowing down because it's shared use path uh, and also because the surfaces aren't always great. And so, you know, if you can have a load of unsurfaced path cycling, then that's going to slow your average speed down. So, yeah, if, if I were doing... Um, uh, if I were doing an on-road route somewhere flat in, you know, I don't know Norfolk or wherever it might be, I'd say 40, 50, 60, that's absolutely no problem. Um, if I were going across the Pennines, then I'd probably go on the uh, lower end of that. Waterways World has been Britain's best-selling canals and rivers magazine since 1972. In each monthly issue, you'll find the latest waterway news, practical advice on boat buying and boat ownership, reviews of the latest craft and equipment, a pull-out cruising guide to help you plan your next trip, first-hand accounts of waterways live, and insights into the history and heritage of our canals and rivers. For subscription offers, visit waterwaysworld.com, where you'll also find a searchable magazine archive, our interactive Ask an Expert Advice section, and our boat search feature, the most comprehensive listing of canal boats for sale you'll find online. That's waterwaysworld.com. Bit of a change of subject, but the last time you were on the podcast, you spoke about your career in the waterways. Yeah. But you didn't really go into much detail about your time at uh, Waterscape, which was the online arm of British Waterways. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So basically, um, it, it, I was there for two years, two very busy years, and it was... Uh, British Waterways, uh, as the uh, precursor to the Canal and River Trust, decided that the internet was a thing, uh, and that it should have a bit of a bit more of a, a web presence, and in particular, a web presence that actually went out there and sold the waterways. The British Waterways website previously was kind of, you know, it was it was kind of corporate. It was somewhere where you would go to look up stoppages. It was somewhere where you would go to uh, download the documents that you needed to license a boat. But it didn't really say, waterways are great, come and visit them. And so that's what Waterscape was. And I was there for a couple of years. It lasted a couple of years after that. And then when the Canal and River Trust came along, it all got uh, subsumed into the CRT website, which to a large extent is kind of the continuation of what Waterscape was. And what was it like in those days? It, I mean, the internet was very, uh, it wasn't as widespread. As, no, uh, no, it, it, now. it was fascinating. I mean, I, I remember sort of, uh, I, I think pretty much the first time I turned up there, uh, people were having a discussion about the, about the branded mugs um, uh, and whether the branded yeah. mugs needed to say Waterscape or Waterscape.com or www.waterscape.com because it was all about, you know, making people realise that this was somewhere you would go on the web. Do we need to say .com or will people realise its website? Do we need to say www or has that gone out? So, you know, it was at this sort of, uh, at this crux and it was, it was fascinating for that, but it was also fascinating because, people didn't really know, you could argue they still don't, uh, about how you could make money or make things, uh, make a sustainable business out of the uh, out of the internet. Mm. And so this was the time when British Waterways had what he called ventures. This was under the um, chief executive, Robin Evans. Um, he had set up these five or six companies within BW, which were called ventures. And they were all intended to be startup companies owned by BW that would make BW a whole bunch of money. Uh, and so these were things like there was a property one, um, there was a, um, 
uh, a water transfer one, which would make a lot of money by um, using the canals for water transfer. Mm. Uh, there was a visitor attraction one, which never quite got off the ground. A few others. And Waterscape was the website one. So the idea was that British Waterways would invest a bunch of money into Waterscape. It would get this fabulous website out at the end of it. And the fabulous website within a few years would be making so much money for BW that everything would be fine and the waterways would be safe happily ever after huh. and so on. Um, it didn't quite work. Is that really like the that, ambition? But, they... Yeah, totally, totally. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there were, you know, there were business plans going around uh, which said, and Waterscape will be returning this much money to BW by year five. And they were, you know, they were ridiculously ambitious. But back then, back then people didn't necessarily understand how it all worked. And I think BW had had some consultants in who had drunk the internet kool-aid and who were very you know uh, very much enthusiastic for all of this and said yeah this is the future everything's going to be going this way and so you'll get loads of money from this Uh, and then the same consultants managed to make themselves nicely rich by selling services to british waterways based on this vision and (laughs) and so the world works wow and what, what were you doing were you developing the website yeah, yeah, so um, my my job title there, certainly to begin with, was editor. Uh, okay. So I was, uh, in, in theory, I was sort of in charge of the content on the website. And then you also had people who were in charge of the, um, uh, the technical side of it. And you also had people who are in charge of the sales side of it and as things went on it kind of got simplified so basically I looked after both the editorial and the technical side of it uh, and then you had other people looking after the sales side of it uh, so yeah yeah that, that, that was that was how it worked uh, we we, we put masses of stuff on there about what the waterways were, uh, good places to visit, so on and so yeah, forth. And yeah. actually, if you look at the CRT website now, uh, a lot of the text on there is still stuff that was written for Waterscape. And of course, you've contributed the maps to the new website. Yeah, yeah. So um, so the story of Waterscape uh, is sort of that basically the website got built for us. Uh, so these uh, these consultant guys who'd been working with bw uh bw employed them to um build the website and then when those of us turned up to actually run it um bw said hey look we've built this website all you've got to do is run it uh, and put some content on it and we said gee thanks <laughs> uh and then that sort of thanks became a bit more sarcastic as we found out how the website worked and that it didn't necessarily do the stuff we wanted it to do yeah. uh, and that the contract bw had signed meant that if you wanted it wanted to change stuff which we did pretty much from day one uh then you had to fill out a load of forms and pay a load of money to these consultants to get it changed and it was yeah it was nice Oh, uh, so within about a year of that we had managed to persuade bw to throw out the um website that they got built for us because it just wasn't fit for purpose in my very humble opinion uh and build our own in-house which we did at a, a tiny budget and which was a whole bunch better uh so as part of that uh i redid the maps um because you know I, I i do bits of programming as well uh yeah. and uh maps are what I do. So I, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I, it, how hard can it be? Famous last words. Uh, I'll do some nice maps. And I did those for Watergate website. Uh, and maps are, a, you know, um, maps and in particular online maps are a bit of a, a, a niche thing. Uh, it's not something that is necessarily a transferable skill for general purpose developers to pick up. Uh, so when CRT rebuilt the website, they had some maps, which I think they were not 100% happy with. Uh, and I said, yeah, 
yeah, you know, I'm happy to rebuild the maps for you again. So ah, yes, yeah, that's, 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 um, got... that's, that's the current ones. Yeah, yeah. And they, they were slightly constrained with the current ones because CRT are corporate partners with Google of some description. Uh, and so the current maps have to be based on Google Maps um, because you've got the, this relationship there. And, the, you know, that's not necessarily the first choice way that I do it, but it works. Oh, it works great. Uh, yeah. 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 How's the boat then? Have you been out much this year? Um, a bit. We're we're working, uh, planning to have a longer holiday in the summer. Uh, but yeah, be, been out for a um, couple of weekends, you know, subject as ever to COVID restrictions and to the seven behaving itself. So, <laughs> so where yeah, have you uh, been? Between those two. Um, just just on the usual. So we've, we've done the Dwight Witch Ring. We've been up to Stourport. Uh, Stourport is great when you've got a five-year-old because it's got, you know, it's basically Skegness on seven. Ah. So you, you've got a fun fair and you've got all, all this uh, all this fun there. And yeah, you know, he, he absolutely loves it. Uh, so it's kind of fun, isn't it? You know, sort of people's uh, people's own geom- uh, geography. And if you look at a little a five year old's conception of the world, oh, yeah. um, he thinks that Droitwich and Stourport are the most exciting places ever <laughs> because uh, Droitwich has got a good playground and Stourport's got the fun fair. So, you know, if uh, that makes if, sense. You know, yeah, absolutely. So where, where are we going this weekend? We're going to Droitwich. Ah, oh, I love Droitwich. Yeah, exactly. Have, have exactly. you been to the um, West Midlands Safari Park near Stalport? <laughs> yes, we have. We have. Because you can you can moor up at uh, you can moor up at Kidderminster, basically. Uh, and then oh, you know, either get, get a taxi or get a um, uh, you get the train through there. So you, that's quite fun. You can get the train up to um you go to Bridge North, the Seven Valley Railway. I forget Bridge North, Beauty, that sort of area. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you, you're basically getting the steam train through a big field of elephants and rhinos and all of that, which, oh, uh, wow. again, you know, for a five-year-old steam train with elephants is about the best thing it, you can possibly have. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I agree with that, yeah. And they serve good Definitely. cider on the steam train as well, you know. I'm all up <laughs> for this. Could you run? Yeah, absolutely. I imagine that you're going back and forth from that train all day. <laughs> I'm saying <so> nothing. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating talking to you and illuminating the topic of cycling because uh, we do get a lot of letters about it. it. It is curious, isn't it? I mean, something I never quite understand is that, you know, I, I read I read canal forums online and I read, read cycling forums online. And, you know, in general, not just the uh, not just on the topic of relations between the two groups, the cycling forums are so much more laid back. Uh, the canal forums are full of angry people, uh, and I don't understand that because you meet people out on uh, out on the cut, and you talk to people at locks, and everyone's lovely and friendly and having a great time. And then you know people get cross when they go and post about stuff. Uh, whereas cycling, you know, generally on the forums, people are quite quite relaxed and quite happy about life. So yeah, I've, I've never got to the bottom of that. five years, the ABC Leisure Group has been at the forefront of the waterways leisure industry. With 15 strategically placed marinas around the UK, it has hundreds of moorings with modern facilities and a range of benefits. ABC also runs a successful and competitive boat brokerage business. See abcboatsales.com, as well as over 200 luxury hire boats and day boats. Visit abcboathire.com. Furthermore, it offers a range of land-based holiday accommodation, including waterside holiday cottages and caravan parks. Visit abcholidaycottages.com.